Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church of Savannah, Georgia. You're listening to the series, Bless the Lord, a study on the book of Psalms. For more information about CBC, please visit www.cbcofsavannah.org. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from God's Word. It is my pleasure this morning to introduce to you guys um, the one that God wants to preach to us. Um, Coming to us from Gateshead, England. Bill Schweitzer, not Bill Fowler. Um, Anyway, Bill has been in Gateshead for for 10 years, serving as pastor there of Gateshead Presbyterian Church for five years. Um, I think you guys will benefit greatly from his message this morning. So let me pray for him, and then we'll have, have Bill come up. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you. We thank you that you've brought us here this morning, and our desire is to worship you. And God, we need to be encouraged this morning by your word. And so now I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on Bill, would speak through Bill, that you would use him as your servant to build up your church. Uh, I pray for a demonstration of the spirit and power. I pray for the hearts of us as we listen, that you allow us to engage with you, to turn from um, the idols in our life and to come and worship you. Uh, Use Bill this morning. Strengthen him. Uh, for this service, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I am thankful that you have invited me to speak this morning. We are grateful for what God has been doing in this church. I should let you know that um, Bill Fowler and I go way back. Uh, we were there at CBC Savannah in the early 2000s before he went to seminary and um, I can say, you know, people ask, uh, how, did I ended up, how did I end up serving there in England? I guess 15 years ago, I was precisely like you. Uh, Pam and I were a young couple with one child. We were just ordinary church members. And, um, you know, the, the Lord kind of puts one thing after another. And uh, the call to ministry came to me. And... Um, our time in Buford was coming to an end. I was there at the air station, the Marine Corps, and uh, it was time to go overseas. And really, again, not even a single thought of anything beyond what are we going to do next. We, um, there was an opportunity to go be a, an exchange officer with the Royal Air Force, and uh, we took it. I remember the... Uh, man whom I came to pray about this actually said, I don't even know why you're praying about it. I would just jump on that. And um, so we did. But you know, the Lord always has other plans for us in various ways. And the thing that happened, I made a mistake, to be honest. I, I went over there without thinking about church. Please don't do that. If you make any move whatsoever, and I was just speaking to a young man about university whether it's uh, with the job, whatever it is, please make your first priority to ensure that there's a good church there that you can, in, in good conscience, become a part of. That is most important because we're going to find out in the course of this sermon, we are what we receive from the Word of God, and no more and no less. So we went there, but we found out firsthand why there are missionaries needed in England. Because there was no good local church where we went. 
Um, we ended up traveling an hour and 15 minutes each way to go to the closest good church we could find, and we experienced firsthand the need for church planning. So I left the military, finished my theological education in Edinburgh, and uh, I actually thought we were going to go somewhere else, maybe Africa, Eastern Europe, but uh, again, the Lord has his funny ways, and uh, next thing you know, we're planting this church in Gateshead. Well, we're thankful for the Lord's blessing upon it. Um, we, uh, I know you guys are looking forward to planting churches uh, soon enough, as, as you're not that old of a church. Um, I can only hope to provoke you to, to jealousy that we, before uh, we were at, um, I think we were around about 70 people in the morning, and <laughs> we, uh, we were planting a church in Hexham. Uh, Lord willing, um, soon enough. So please pray for that. Uh, churches are not very big. They're not very strong. The, I, I mentioned in the, the earlier service, we are technically speaking, believe it or not, an unreached people group. Who would think about that? England, unreached people group. Un, it's below the threshold of 2% evangelical. We need your prayers. Um, we put out a, a prayer update list. If you'd like to sign up and get our updates, we'd love that. We need your prayers desperately and some prayer cards as well. But uh, I need your prayers, but we all need the Word of God. So let's turn there to Psalm 115. Read from the ESV, Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as those who are desperate to hear from you. And Lord, those who are not desperate to hear from you are even in a worse situation. Lord, how we pray that through your powerful Holy Spirit, that we might truly hear the words that you would have for us that you yourself indeed would preach to us, speak a word to those who are given to idolatry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going through the Psalms. It's a 
wonderful thing to do. We're not going consecutively, and even if we did, it's not like that we'd receive the same themes over. We're actually having a chance to speak to all kinds of things that might not otherwise got, uh, get mentioned. And in my case, I'm preaching Psalm 115, and the main subject here is idolatry. Now, that word, um, I would imagine if you're a guest, if you're not from a church background, that word doesn't mean all that much to you. But even if you are a Christian, I'm not sure how much you, you really know about idolatry. Uh, it's not a word we use a whole, whole bunch. But let me tell you, we live in a land of idols just as much as if we lived in Babylon. We just don't call them that. Uh, the whole Old Testament, it's pretty much the story of the struggle of God's people versus the idols, God himself against the idols. He, he portrays himself indeed as a divine warrior as we spoke of, and he's the one who comes to destroy these idols. But the main point of it, the main emphasis is not what happens out there, but with God's own people. And as God tries to pull us away from the idols, and, and sadly we're the people are always of the Old Testament are always in this cycle of God rescuing them, bringing them out of Egypt into the promised land. And then they start to look around and they see what the other people are doing and they start to become attached to idols. And it's first it's in secret and then it's more in the open. And then God brings judgment. And then they cry out to him and they come back and, you know, the cycle goes on and on and on. And it's not just... And really, we have to understand this. It's not just that some people and sometimes have some problem with idolatry. It is the default setting of the human heart. That is just the way we are. Calvin said that our hearts are factorum idolorum. Idol factories. That's what they are. They are idol factories. They are putting out idols and, and they're working three shifts, aren't they? They are always doing that. Now... How can I make you to believe this? Because again, if, I, if you don't believe it's a problem, you're not going to listen um, to the Word of God on this. The example I gave this morning has to do with a good friend of mine. And you have to, I, I have to say this because when you make someone an example, you, you might get the, the, the idea that there is some kind of dislike or hatred involved. It's absolutely the opposite. It is sadness and pity and love that I feel towards him. But he's a Hindu, and uh, as I said, he was my professor. He, I was frequently at his house. And one day he said, uh, I want to show you something. This is where, this is the room where I keep my gods. And sure enough, there are the, the table and the, the, uh, the sheet laid over it, the silk white sheet, and, and there were those gods of, of Shiva with the many different arms and and Hanuman, and Ganesha, and so forth. And, you know, he, he did this reverence posture towards them. And, you know, it was uh, pretty obvious if somebody had seen that. Okay, this man is engaged in idolatry. You know what else he had there besides these Hindu gods? He had his degrees from Harvard also. And there's where it begins, that's the transition point, you see, because that's when it becomes a little bit more real. And I, I said that, and you know what, here's the reality. When I saw that, I did not feel the disgust that I should have, or revulsion. You know what I thought? I thought I wanted those. I wanted those degrees for myself. So I'm, I, I don't put myself above him at all. That is the reality of the human heart. And so something I'm going to repeat as well, it's easy to look down, it is easy 
to make fun of someone else's idolatry because that's so obvious, that's so crazy, and that's so dumb. But maybe, just maybe, there's some idolatry in our hearts as well. Well, the thing is, the Lord has given us a great commandment. Do you know what it is? To love Him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and to do it all the time. All the time. So if there is a moment in the day in which you're not loving Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, brothers and sisters, what are you doing? You are worshiping, you are serving, you are loving someone or something else, and that is idolatry. We're doing it. We all have our idols. Maybe it's our possessions. Maybe it's our houses, our accomplishments, our careers, our bodies. I don't know. All of these things, worshiping and serving the creature, the, the, creature, the thing that God has made, or even that we've made, rather than God himself. And the thing is, we have our reasons for doing it. Somehow we believe that these things are going to make us happy or we would not do it. Why we do it? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have Psalm 115. Because the word of God wants to, to pull away that smoke screen. These idols, they never come with an upfront uh, a presentation of what they really are. You know, it's never that simple. Don't we wish it was that simple? But there is a smokescreen that says that these things are going to really make you happy and satisfied in life, and you better serve me if you want this that I have in my hand to give to you. Protect me. Serve me. Sacrifice for me, and I'll give you what you want. This psalm is here to destroy that. This psalm is here to give us a better way. The title of the sermon is Idolatry. The problem and the cure. We have a total of four points. Two of them have to do with the problem and two of them have to do with the cure. The first two are idols are useless and we become like what we worship. The next three and four are God is our only help and we should worship God. We need to hear these things this morning. I, I most of all. First of all, idols are useless. Verse four, they're idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throats. You know what it's saying to us? Is that the idols inevitably have the appearance of being able to do things for us. These idols have faces. These idols, in this case, as, as being pictured, have eyes and they have, and they have mouths. And that means the idea is that they can speak to us. They can speak wisdom to us. And they have hands and the idea is that they can help us and feed and all the rest of it. But it's a lie. They can't do any of these things. They can't help themselves. They can't even save themselves. Why, why do we... Why do we want to come to them who cannot do anything for themselves, let alone for us? And God, you see, is in the business of proving that point. Here and in other parts of the Old Testament, he wants us to see that it's useless. We've got to believe that they're useless. Easy for us to make fun of Baal, isn't it? 
easy for us to be disgusted with the idea of Moloch. You remember him? He's a little lesser known than, than Baal, but he's worse in some ways. It's this, this God that demanded that you sacrifice your child, maybe your newborn infant, to this God. And if you did that, he would take care of you. He would give you everything that you wanted in life. He would make sure that you were wealthy and all the rest of it. We don't have any Moloch here in America, do we? Maybe we do, though. Maybe sometimes people are, are tempted to sacrifice their children through abortion in order that their lives might be easier, might be more prosperous, might be more convenient. In fact, there are millions and millions who have been sacrificed, I think, in this way. And all the things that we might easily so make fun of and say that we couldn't possibly fall down in that way, I think that the, the maker of idols, and I'm going to mention this later, the maker of idols ultimately is Satan himself. He's smarter than that. And he will find an idol somewhere, somehow, that just might be tempting to you. Well, the Lord wants us to know that these idols, despite all their pretensions, they are useless. First Samuel 5 talks about this situation of Dagon. And Dagon is funny. I have to admit that it is a funny story. And we want, God wants us to see idols as they really are. But 1 Samuel 5 says this, When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the temple of Dagon and set it by Dagon. This is, sadly, they, they were misusing the ark of the Lord as if it was some magical talisman. And so they brought it in. Even though they were rebellious, they weren't doing what the Lord said. They were, and the Lord was going to judge them. And they brought the, the, uh, the ark into battle. And the ark is captured. They're destroyed and now, however, the Lord is going to maintain his honor. He's not going to be brought as a trophy into some idol's house. So the people of Ashdod, the Philistines, arose early in the morning. There was Dagon fallen on his face before the earth, before the ark of the Lord. And here's what they did. They didn't say, okay, now, now we're playing with something here that we probably shouldn't be. Um, maybe we should... Do no, they, they pick up Dagon. They don't think to themselves, now this is funny, Dagon couldn't keep himself from falling over, yet here we are worshiping and serving him. This is kind of strange, but there they are. They pick him up, and they topple him back on, and now he's standing again before the ark. What happens the next day? And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face before the ground, before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off in the threshold, and only Dagon's torso was left of it. Dagon cannot save his own self. He's broken in pieces before the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I want you to have that image in your head when you think of idols. And hopefully the Lord will reveal to you in the course of this sermon maybe one of your idols. And I want you to think of it broken down before the living and true God because that's what God wants you to think. This is just a ridiculous, inanimate pile of stones. What am I doing thinking that this is going to help me? This is going to take care of me? You know, again, we say Baal worship. How crazy is that? I'd never fall into that. These these foolish Old Testament believers always worshiping Baal. What are they doing? Do you know the reason why they worship Baal? He's not real, of course. There's no reality to him. The reason why they worship him is because the culture built him up to be real. Ultimately, again, Satan's behind it. But the culture made it real. And you can imagine a situation where there's all this pressure and they're saying, 
Have you tried Baal? And, and if something bad happens, some disaster happens to you or your stuff, and, and they say, hmm, should have done that sacrifice for Baal that I did. Everything's fine for me. You know? I, and, and they would say, I'm not asking you to stop worshiping the Lord. Never, no, no, no. You can still be a believer and all that, still be God's people, but just offer to Baal on the side. No one has to know. Because, you know, God, he's good for those eternal kind of things, those big spiritual things. But when it comes to having more cattle, when it comes to being fertile, when it comes to having money, this is something my idol can help you with. And soon enough, they, broke, they break down and they give in. Well, brothers and sisters, let me say that our culture has idols. It has them. All you have to do is watch the way that things are advertised on TV. Do you know what they're doing? They're always, always trying to point out that the thing that I'm selling, whatever it might be, is going to make you happy, is going to make you prosperous, is going to make you beautiful, is going to make you well-liked, and all the things that you want is going to make you healthy, whatever you want to say. You know, our God is still in the business of toppling idols. One of the things for the people in England, again, I'm, you know, putting it on someone else and alternating between you and someone else so you kind of get the picture of what idolatry looks like, but for them it was houses. They didn't invest in the stock market, they invested in houses, and let me tell you, everything went into the house. And their houses are worth way more than our houses are. You know, really out of, your, out of sight expensive. We rent, we couldn't afford one. And they just... And, and you would say, you know, that's, I'm interested. You, you do that, you don't do any kind of other kind of stuff? No, 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 no. This is by far the best thing. And, and I said, you're not worried about that some bubble or some crash or something like that? No. This is our ticket. And 2008 happens. The bottom falls out. And these houses are worth half of what they used to be. And all of a sudden, they're prom and there are people there who had put their whole lives into these things. And now everything that they had been promised, none of it came to be. Now I want you to know that everything, I mean everything, is like that. All the things that promise you such perfect prosperity, security, beauty, whatever it might be, these things fail. Because they are useless. They are useless. They are idols. I don't mean to say, by the way, that we shouldn't invest for the future. Don't, don't get that idea it's a biblical idea, yes, but if you are investing in it, the idea that this thing, as long as it is intact and protected and invested in, is going to solve it for you, it's going to do it for you, it's an idol. It will fail. It must fail. God will make sure that it will. Paul says in Corinthians, by the way, that those who worship idols ultimately are not just worshiping the pile of stones or whatever it might be. This morning I was talking about potential idols and I, I mentioned all the beautiful effects pedals and I learned about a new one, the, the rotary pedal there that spins around and makes that neat sound. Beautiful stuff. But I thought, you know what, actually the one that probably somebody's the most worried about is probably Brandon and his, his tailor. I know that. Because I have a guild. It's a good guitar. I bought it down the street. Annie's Guitars. I don't know if it's there anymore. It's a beautiful guitar. Sounds wonderful. And for years, I was so hyper about someone breaking that guitar. 
And again, I don't say that we ought to be foolish or, 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 or just uh, getting rid of things for, you know, destroying things for no reason. But I know what it's like. I know what it's like. This is what God says. Idols are useless, but secondly, people become like what they worship. It's a very interesting verse, isn't it? Verse 8. Those who make them, this is speaking of idols, those who make idols are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. You become like that which you worship. The Lord... What are, we, what are we created here to do? What are we supposed to be doing in this life? Some people go climb some mountain somewhere in Nepal or India, and they want to talk to the guru. What is it all about? Well, I can tell you what it's about. You have been created by the living God, the triune God, in order to glorify him and to enjoy him. That is it. That's it. That's the purpose of your life. And that means that he has put into us a capacity to worship. In fact, we're never going to be happy if we're not worshiping. The reality is that all of us worship something. We have to. It's like breathing. It's like eating. All of us have to do it as part of our nature. And he has given us this amazing capacity then, this propensity, this nature by which we become that which we worship. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's an amazing thought. When you look at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is not a physical one, you can't see it. That's why it's not a good idea, by the way, to have pictures of Jesus. They're all wrong. We have no idea what he looks like. The Lord made certain that we don't know what he looks like. And we don't find out about him by looking at some picture. We find out about him through the gospel, through the word of God. The image of Christ that is held up for us. When the word of God is being declared, that's how we find out about him. And that is how we are transformed into his image. The one true living God. That's a really powerful thing, isn't it? It's a powerful tool. But it can be misused. And it works both ways. And if we're worshiping some false god, then we will become like that as well. You know, if we are worshiping an idol, and if idols are useless and worthless, I suppose that's going to mean that we're going to become like that as well. I'll give you another example of some idolatry I'm aware of in England. Again, it's always easier to look over there and uh, funny, it works that way with sports in particular. Um, it, it looks, it's really ridiculous to us who don't really watch soccer as much. I know it's growing, but I don't, I, I don't watch soccer. If I had some spare time, I wouldn't, wouldn't watch an English premiership game. But they do, and they are crazy about it. They are crazy about it. They put SEC football fans, NFL, NBA fans all in, in the shade of how passionate they are. You know, there's this tunnel between the big parking lot in Newcastle and the big uh, Royal Infirmary, the hospital. And all the walls are plastered. It's very famous that Newcastle United football fans are, are crazy and, uh, frankly, idolatrous. And the, the pictures are the games, and the, it's not the game that's happening on the field. No, the field is not seen in any of these pictures. The ball, the players, none of that. You know what's being seen? 
the faces of the crowd. And the faces are amazing. They're all uniform, doing exactly the same thing at the same time, and they are, in, and they are just in expectation and in, in jubilation and joy, and they're in, in frustration and anger and hatred. All these things etched onto their faces as they have become like the God that they worship. It's very plain. They become like their football god. Easy to make fun of that. Maybe, just maybe, some of us have other kinds of sports idolatries. Sometimes sports idolatries that even prevent us from being here. I'm so saddened when I hear that American churches sometimes cancel services on Super Bowl Sunday so people can, can serve the idol that is really in their heart, the one that is going to take precedence, the one that they really bow down rather than the one true and living God. People become like what they worship. The example, of course, that, that most of us would be familiar with is alcoholism or, or drug addiction. I don't know if you've ever been. That was my first job, by the way, in the Marine Corps. It wasn't very glamorous, but I was a substance abuse officer. And one of the interesting things I remember that uh, the guy who was sort of training up was saying, you, you know, you, you'll always be able to tell an alcoholic. I said, what? No, seriously. He said, yeah, it's, it, you know, he gave me some various ways. It'll be on their face in this kind of way. Uh, it'll be in the way that they talk. It'll, and, and he gave all these kind of things. And, and I thought, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. But no, then I became, then I started dealing with him, and sure enough, it's true. Alcohol changes people because they are worshiping it, because they believe it's going to make them happy. And as soon enough, they become like the bottle that they're drinking from. Drugs the same, money the same, all of it. You know the deal. We become like what we worship. Well, that's the, you know, these things are the bad news. Idols are worthless. We're going to become like them if we keep on worshiping them. But, you know, on the other hand, God is our help. That's our third point. And we see this starting in verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Three times. The Lord does not do that many times in the Word of God, and when He does, He's making a a particular and special point that He expects us to hear. You know, I said that the idols are never up front. Heretics aren't either, by the way. No one ever has a shirt that says, I'm a false teacher, I'm a heretic. It's always concealed and kept down, and there's a smokescreen, as I said. Likewise with the idols. And say, hi, I'm a, a worthless idol. I want you to throw your life away on me, and you'll get nothing. The Lord wants us to know that they're worthless, but the Lord wants us to know even more than that and more emphatically that He is our real and only source of help. You've got to believe that. Because every time that you're tempted to think that this idol can help you, you're at the same time not convinced that the living God can help you. Do you understand that? You have got to be convinced that He can and wants to help you. If you don't, you're not going to go to Him. You are going to turn to some idol. And there's a simple message that's repeated. We should trust in the Lord. You know, by the way, that's the gospel. 
Sometimes people have big tr- trouble trying to find the gospel in the Old Testament. No. People in the Old Testament were not saved by works. They were saved by putting their trust in God just like we are. They, of course, the Messiah had not yet come for them, but they look forward to that, and they put their trust in God's promises, just as we look back to Christ who has come, and we know much more and much more explicitly, but the principle is the same. They put their trust in the Lord, and they were saved. And three times the Lord repeats that message, trust in the Lord. And three times he gives us the rationale for it, because he is your help and your shield. Our idols are designed to do useful things. We put arms on them as well when we make an idol. And the arm is supposed to do something useful for us. We know it doesn't do it. We know it can't do it. And the Lord wants us to know that he really can help us. Again, I was maybe picking on the guitar pedals last time and said, what would happen if I were to break one right now? Who, would, who, who among you could fix it? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pick on Brandon and his beautiful guitar. If I were to, to go, uh, go Jimi Hendrix or something like that and smash it, could I then hand it to you or to you? Could you fix it? Do you know how to fix a guitar like that? No. Do you know the only one who really could? You know, by the way, I had some minor problem with my, my guild. I had to send it back to the guild factory. Because they built it. They know how to do it. They have the plans. They have the technology. They have the tools. They have all the material necessary to do it. And only they. And it would be the same thing with that one. Brothers and sisters, the only one who can really help us is the one who created us. How can we possibly turn to anyone or to anything else? They can't do it. How are we going to turn to some idol to save us? The Lord himself has created the heavens and the earth. He is our help and he is our shield. It's interesting that word shield to me. A shield, you know, an idea of something that protects us. Because a lot of American idolatries have to do with security. We live in absolute fear of what's going to happen to us in the future. And we want to protect our prosperity. We want to protect us, our house. We don't want to be out on the street. We want to protect our health. We know that there are, you know, again, I do not at all challenge the legitimacy of owning a house or having medical insurance, all the rest of it, or saving for the future. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that sometimes we begin to believe that if we just have enough money in the bank, if we just have the right insurance policies, if we just have the right gated community or whatsoever, we're going to be safe, we're going to be secure, and we're not going to have problems. It is an American idolatry. The Lord says, I alone am your shield. There is none other. The Lord sometimes has a way of making sure that we know that. Because he could take the most secure situation known to man, and he could crush it before your hands just so you understand that he does not share his glory with another. And he is a jealous God, and he wants you to trust in him. He is our only help. And, you know, I'm going to say this, because I don't know if I really made it clear. I've said that idolatry is a problem. I've said that it's going to cause problems for us. If these idols are useless, they're not going to help us. They're going to lead us down a blind alley and turn us away from the Lord. They're not going to be able to help us. We'll become like them. But I want us to know that it's also sin. You know what the first and second commandments talk about? Not that, you know... 
you, you understand, I don't know if you guys get it, but the Ten Commandments are pretty much written in order of importance. The first table of the law has to do with God himself because that is more important than what we do with man. It is the fact that we, love, we serve God, we worship him, and no other God. That is more important than anything that we do with our fellow man. And those things about God, they come first in order, okay? God himself and the way that we worship him secondly and then his name thirdly and his day fourthly. And number one and number two have to do with idolatry. And each and every time that we fall into it is absolutely a sin. And sin does not just go somewhere. It has to be dealt with. Someone has to die. Because that's the wages of sin is death. And praise God, when the Lord says that he is our help, he is giving us something beyond the ordinary help that we are talking about in this life. Because our problem is not just in this life. Our problem is what is going to happen in eternity. And he has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins, most importantly, including our sins of idolatry. Done that. What a thought. Lord Jesus Christ bled and he died for all of our foolish acts of idolatry, of worshiping sticks and stones, gold and silver, our accomplishments, our careers. He is ultimately our help because Christ can forgive us of our sins through faith. God is our only help. Fourthly, I would say, please don't think it'll be done by the way at the end of this one. I have some applications after this, but the fourth main point is that we ought to worship God because that's the thing. That is the thing. If we, we, don't, we know we're created to worship, we know we have a propensity to worship something, when we worship the wrong thing, then we become like it. We become like the lie that we serve. We become just as useless and worthless and degenerate as that idol itself. Well, the answer, of course, if we turn away from our idols, we turn to Christ in faith, we worship God. And that's, I think, if anything, the, the most important point of this psalm. In verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Glory to God. You know, as I say, we are creatures made by God for the purpose of bringing him glory. We sometimes want to bring glory to our, ourselves. We want to bring glory to something else. And God is continually in the business of getting rid of those things. I, I love the story of, of, um, of Acts. Sometimes we would imagine that God's direct dealings with, with people, that was over after the resurrection, but not so. In Acts chapter 12 and 21, this is King Herod. This is one who had done as he did with the Lord Jesus Christ. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting because they wanted something from him. They kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. You know what the Lord did? Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. A God cannot be eaten by worms. A mere man who claims or accepts praise as if he were a God absolutely can. And the Lord made sure that that kind of blasphemy would not continue. We have got to worship God. All of it. Just all of our worship must go to Him. God is constantly warning us against 
worshiping anything else? And on the other hand, I would say this too. You know, what do we look for worship? Why do we pick beautiful things or important things or powerful things to worship? Because that's what we want. We want to be around that. And of course, we're impressed by it. And so, my friend, again, whom I love, and pray desperately that he'd come to faith in Christ, worshipped his degrees from Harvard because they were a real accomplishment. Some other people worship the kind of money that would put them in a position of power that can keep all bad things from happening. And there's a long list of things like that. And I'm saying that there is something, there is someone better than that, way better than that, way more beautiful, way more powerful, way more impressive. That is a living and true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got to worship Him. Well, let me now turn to some specific applications of these things. We've said idols are useless. People become like what we, we worship. But God is our only help and that we should worship him. But let me save our three little applications here. First of all, if you want to follow Christ, you need to forsake your idols. You know, I, what does repent mean? Do you know what repent means? means to turn away from something. The gospel always includes repent and believe. If you look through the gospels, do it. Take it home today. Spend the day in something like this. But look through the gospels and find sometimes it says repent. Sometimes it says believe. Sometimes it says repent and believe. And it's two sides of a single coin. You repent. You turn away from something false. Turn away from sin. You turn away from idols. And you turn towards Christ in faith. That's what the gospel is. If you're going to follow Christ, you've got to forsake your idols. You've got to turn your back on them. You say, brother, that sounds great. I don't have any idols. Yeah, is that right? Well, I wish it were true. I sincerely wish it were true. My question is, what do you really serve? What do you pour your life into hoping to get back from it? Something that you should only be getting from God. That's an idol. The other way of finding out is if I or someone else put, puts my hand on that idol, tries to take it away, how are you going to react? That's the point of Matthew 19, the story of the rich young ruler. It is one of the most misunderstood of the situation in the New Testament because people think, well, the Lord has told him that he's got to give away his money and therefore that's how he's going to earn salvation. And that is just not the case. The rich young ruler, in his pride, in his self-sufficiency, walks up to Christ and said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, You know the commandments. And right away, you know he's not preaching the gospel to him. When he says, You know the commandments, he's talking about disabusing him of his idea that he's good enough to save himself. So You know the commandments. And he says, All these I've kept from my youth. All. What more do I lack? Jesus says, well, why don't you sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then you can come follow me. And he walks away sad. Do you know why he walks away sad? Because money was his idol. It was his real God. And when he was given an actual choice, the choice that couldn't have been any more clear or explicit, of you can have heaven forever, you can have God, you can be within his kingdom forever, or you can have your money, what did he choose? The money wins. 
That's because this is God. Jesus knew that and he was exposing the idolatry. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what can I put my hand on in your life? You would say, don't touch that. Precious to me. Means everything to me. Apart from God. I don't say this to shame you. I say this because Jesus Christ is the liberator. He came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to destroy the idols, to topple them down. He wants our love and our worship and our service. And he really can deliver on all of his promises. And he wants to set you free from those things. He's died on the cross to do that for you. Take the, now, I, I would say, some of us say, well, I don't have all that much. I'm not rich. I'm not like the rich young ruler. I don't live in a gated community and I don't have an idolatry of my bank account because I don't have any money in my bank account. Another, another way you can be idolatrous, you know, it is coveting those things that you don't have. Colossians 3.5 says this, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Which is idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 says it even stronger. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Frightening words. Brothers and sisters, even if you have nothing, you can still be an idolater because you're coveting those things you don't have. The gospel is we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We put all of our trust in him and therefore all of our desires, all of our wants, they are fulfilled in Christ. He, Christ is going to give those things to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. We've got to turn away from our idols if we're going to follow Christ. We need to be like those in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves declare how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And may we do that. Second application. Trust in the Lord. You know, the Bible is never purely... What is the point of getting us convicted about our idolatry? The point is to get us to trust in the Lord. Because he is so eminently worthy of all of our trust. It is so completely, if you look back at the situation, how dumb and how foolish it is to trust an idol that can't even save itself. And all of our idols are like that. But how wise and how wonderful and how trustworthy it is to put our trust in God because he has never, never let anyone down. Do you know he says that? He, he almost dares people. In Deuteronomy and in, in Joshua, Joshua, he has this... Uh, the valedictory speech at the end of Joshua is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. And he says, and you know in your hearts that not one of the good promises that he's made has failed. Not one of them. Brothers and sisters, I can raise my hand. And I know that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can raise your hand. That not one of his promises have ever failed. None of them. It is good and right. And it is the only way, if you, are, if you are troubled with an anxiety, if you live in fear, you need to know that you can trust in the Lord and he will not forsake you. He will save you. Thirdly and finally, devote yourself to good theology. And you say, Bill, I have no idea where you came up with that one. The rest of these, I understand, but where, where did you get that idea? 
Theology is boring. We, have time. we don't have time for it. We want other things. Well, look, if it is really true that you become like you worship what you worship, the only way that you really enter worship into the living and true God is to learn things about him, true things. Jonathan Edwards said, you can't love a God whom you know nothing about. It's true, isn't it? You have relationships. You have to know something about that person. You can't love someone you don't know something about. And you're not going to become like someone if you know nothing about him. You've got to know the truth about theology. And I'll say more than that. You know, when we're tempted, and we all are tempted to go aside to some idol, when we get the news of whatever it might be with our children, the news with our health, maybe it's cancer, and we are tempted at that moment of which way are we going to go? Who's going to get the first phone call? Are we going to pray or are we going to call the, the, you know, somebody who's going to fix it for us? Something that's going to fix us for us. Whether we're going to rely on an idol or we're going to rely on the Lord, we have to believe that the Lord is able. And the Lord gives us a whole book to do it. It is a story of how God is eminently faithful and trustworthy and he wants us to know it so that in those moments we turn to him instinctively rather than to some idol. And there are books out there that teach us about the word of God that are helps to do it. And we ought to learn it. And that's, by the way, why it's so important to find a good church. Don't make the mistake that I did. The Lord used it, I know, in his providence. But we have got to, if the Lord ever moves you away from here, your first priority must be, is this place going to have a good church? Because you will become like whatever is preached there. We need to become like the God who reveals himself to us in Scripture. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, there is never enough. No sermon ever does all that we would wish it to. No worship service ever brings us as close as we would desire. But Lord God in heaven, how we pray that through your powerful Holy Spirit you would work in our hearts that we might repent, that we might turn away from idols to serve the living and true God. We are thankful that Jesus Christ died to save us to save even sinners such as ourselves. Lord, may we put our trust in him and no one and nothing else. Lord, help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.